0: Hello again, everybody, it's time for the mainland podcast. I am Michael Citro, the managing editor of the mainland.com, the SB Nation site covering Orlando City SC and the Orlando Pride and Orlando City B in the USL. We're uh, bringing you this episode number 47, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the New York Red Bulls game that just happened this past weekend. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, First victory ever for OCB, and the first victory ever for the Orlando Pride. So we got a lot to get to. We're also going to look ahead to Saturday's opponent, New England Revolution, on the road. That'll be the second time in three weeks the teams have played. And joining me to do all of this because I can't do it alone is, uh, you know, mainland writers Daniel McGann and Andrew Harrison. Guys, how are you tonight?
1: Well, you know, uh, I'm doing really good. Doing really good. Looking forward to the weekend.
2: So. Yeah, we came off. We, we we did pretty well last weekend, other than uh, the main
0: team. So you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to tell you, I've, I've been dealing with some some um, you know a little bit of a back injury this week and some insomnia, and so I'm very sluggish and kind of uh, you know pained and and slow. And so basically, I right now am Orlando City's offense.
2: You're the whole team.
0: Yeah. The, the whole
1: team. Have you have you been able to, to hold things with your right hand and then move them to your left hand without dropping them or giving them away to somebody else? Because I feel like that's kind of what we're doing in the fifth deal right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, that was an ugly game on Sunday. I'm not going to – there's no way to sugarcoat it. Orlando City went up, got on the front foot immediately, scored a goal early in the game as they have been uh, doing really a lot this season for some reason. But, again – uh, from that point on could not string two passes together, uh, could rarely string one pass together. And in in many cases, um, the defense was not organized and they had all kinds of trouble with New York Red Bulls, high pressure. Nobody bothered to slow Sasha question down all night. And it was, uh, still, you know, just a a tremendous effort by Joe Bendik had the teams, uh, had the team ahead one nil at the half. um, You know, we get into the second half and we have our weekly, uh, you know, Orlando City referee talking point. And uh, two minutes after that, uh, New York gets on the board and then they they just kind of went on a little mini tear, scored three goals in 10 minutes. And uh, Orlando City pulls one back on an own goal uh, by a player who should have been sent off. And uh, uh, it it finishes three, two. And and I tell you, I was nervous going in to Red Bull Arena. I said it last week going up there to play a team that has been, you know, that that was very desperate and a team that's got, you know, way more talent than what their results had been showing. And I was a little, little worried that things might fall apart up there. And they, they kind of did. Um, Andrew, I'm going to start with you, just your overall thoughts of the match and what happened.
2: It was just a disaster. I mean, I think that we just, we have no unity right now. There is no connectivity between any position, um, This constant change between where does Notorino fit in if he's healthy, where does Kaká fit in, you know, he's not going to not play, but all of these changes are just hurting us. And I think we just, we don't have the depth and we don't have the cohesion that requires to play MLS soccer right now. Um, We are just dropping the ball all over the field. Nobody wants to pass. And when they do pass, it seems to be in somebody in a different color jersey. Um, there's just no there's no beautifulness to this game right now um Mm. and until we find that we're going to continue to struggle and i think it's going to involve changing some people but what we saw really the other day was we made some substitutions and nothing happened it was almost got a little bit worse for a little in in terms of the casual fan watching it it got even worse because there was just no excitement from any of our players and When we circle back around and you ask me my man of the match, it's going to be a real tough one.
0: (laughs) Daniel, uh, you know, one of the things we found out at the Pride game on Saturday was that Kaká uh, suffered a, a minor groin injury, wasn't going to make the New York trip, and that forced a little bit of shuffle in the lineup for Adrian Heath. And, you know, obviously this team, no team is as good without their best player. But, I mean, how much worse is this team without Kaká than with him?
1: uh a lot i mean unfortunately that's the answer right now and and i thought perhaps baptista was going to look a little bit better i thought perhaps moving to a four four two with those big uh two sh- forwards up up top uh was gonna was gonna help the team out a little bit but it didn't because uh, you you alluded to it coming into this actually i think you didn't even allude to it. you you blatantly said it we could not put two passes together uh, we gave the the ball away so often in the midfield and really everywhere around the pitch. We weren't pressuring when we need to pressure. It just seemed like we scored a goal and then we went into a shell and not only went into a shell but forgot how to pass, uh, forgot how to get uh, you know find open space whenever you don't ha- uh, have the ball. And that's something I've noticed about Orlando um, over the past few matches is that. When the players aren't necessarily on the ball, there's only a few of them moving to get into open space. Uh, and everyone else is kind of just sitting uh, in their role and expecting someone to, to make a play with the ball rather than helping them make that play by finding some open space. And, and Inventor was doing exactly that, getting finding open space at the beginning of the year. Uh, but if you watch some of the, the guys in the midfield, they just look, I don't want to say necessarily lazy whenever we get the ball, but... Um, maybe just disconnected. It's the conversation of, is this team disconnected without Kaká? And with Kaká, I think we look differently, but without Kaká, just looks very disconnected in that midfield.
2: Well, and, and you know, you you got to go back to the first two games when he didn't play. We looked like a completely different team. We did. You know, he came in, and it's like we all of a sudden, we lost, you know, Heath was maybe just saying, you got to pass the ball to Kaká, got to pass it to Kaká, and all of a sudden, Kaká's not on the field. And they're like, well, now I've got nobody else to pass it to. <laughs> that's just really scary that this team kind of just collapsed in on itself and i think even the partnership of Hagita and Sarin that had been so strong they both looked so defeated in that red bulls game and i think we could have been on the much worse of a shellacking after the 26 shots
0: yeah and, and that's partly what i was you know what i was saying earlier about the the high pressure getting to orlando city was that i think that the both the defenders and the defensive midfielders I don't know if there was just too big a gap between them and the attacking midfield middle midfielders or if those guys weren't working to get open. But it, it's, you know, as soon as guys got the ball, there was someone in their face. They needed that outlet. And if that outlet wasn't immediately there, it was just booting the ball down the field, playing kickball or it was, uh, you know, giving the ball away cheaply. And then next thing you know, New York's coming forward in numbers and you've got. You know, Rafael Ramos or Breck Shea on their back foot, trying to just backpedal and, and you know, hang on for dear life, and not uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot they could do. I, I think Shea didn't do a very good job of, of crowding the the ball on the right side and allowed too many passes into the into the area. And I think that you know, there's no reason for Mike Grella and, and Sasha Kleshton to have as much space and time on the ball as they had. It was uh, they're good players, but I mean, you have to go and challenge them and. and and make them give up the ball. And I don't think anybody really did that on the defensive end and up front, you know, I mean, very few touches for Venter. Um, Molino had less than 70% completion, you know, passing accuracy, uh, Batista, you know, started off okay, but then kind of faded pretty quickly. And, and I don't think if that was a four, four, two, it certainly morphed into something completely different because Batista was playing well under Laren, um, and Laren didn't get many chances, but of course he did bury the one earlier in the game. So um, it's good to see uh, Kid Fantastic another goal in New York. Uh, let's go talk about the talking point because at this point in the game, Orlando City's got a one nil lead. Uh, a long ball over the top by Bendik, hint of offside for Laren that wasn't obviously wasn't spotted, and nobody even talked about it until the next day. Um, Carl Wimet with a flying scissor tackle uh, catches Laren from behind. And it's a play on and no foul given. I mean, it was, it was certainly not in the box. It was certainly above the box. But even if nothing comes of it and you don't score on the play, New York is now down a goal and a man. So pretty big talking point, I would say, Andrew.
2: Oh, without a doubt. And I think it, it's basic refereeing. We'd seen it earlier in the weekend with the um, Columbus-Houston game where um, Tyler Derrick got sent off about, you know, denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Somehow they managed to misinterpret the exact same rule twice in the same weekend. Um, (laughs) Just going back to basics, there's no way that that defender, regardless of everything else that came out that's been discussed this week, that he should not have been off. It was a dangerous, reckless tackle, even if the play shouldn't have taken place, that makes it even worse because we could have seen a career a season ending, if not potentially career ending knee injury from that foul. Um, I think this goes back to the referees need to get back to basics. They need to learn the rule book and just understand that when they see something with their lines, it's not subject to interpretation. It just needs to be ruled upon.
0: Mm-hmm. And then for my part, you know, you're, you're sitting there on the road with a one goal lead, um, and much more time and space with the ball because you're, you're up a man. Um, Daniel, you know, certainly it's got to be easier to defend the Red Bulls with 10 men than with 11.
1: Well, you know what the argument's going to be is that Kyle Aaron was offsides. Uh, So, I mean, the, the bad thing here is that it all leads back to the same conversation is that pro has been doing a disastrous job of Mm -hmm. making the correct decisions. If Kyle Aaron's not offsides, and he's on sides, and that tackle is made, and he's the last defender, it's a red card. I don't care if it's in the box or out of the box, or if there's a PK or no PK, the call has to be made. If a man ever brings down another man from behind, and he's the last defender, it's a red card. That's what happens. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the fact that (laughs) neither referee, uh, either, either one of them said anything, and after Orlando going through what has has seemed to be just uh, game after game after game, which I, I understand bad things, bad calls, bad moments happen, uh, but whenever it seems like it's happening, not just once, one time a match or, or every every game, it's every other game, it's happening every game uh, on a mo- multiple occasions in every game, uh, something has to be done, but I mean, what can we do to fix that?
0: Yeah, I, I don't um, see. I, I don't subscribe to the the whole thing about the offside because offside is given when it shouldn't be, and it's not given when it should be. Every game, every single game, it's just part of the game. And that one was a very tough one to see because Bendik has the ball way back at the top of his own box. Yeah. The the referee's assistant was you know not expecting a quick you know outlet like that, and he wasn't really, to be honest, in a great position to to make that call. Mm-hmm. So if he misses it you know so be it that's part of the game you could say well it's 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 sour grapes to whine about it when he should have been offside but my point is this if a guy elbows someone in the head and the ref doesn't see it but the guy that the the guy who gets elbowed retaliates and punches the guy and gets sent off you know should he not be sent off for punching the guy because the original one wasn't called
2: Uh, I mean, I think that's where you go to the the arbitrariness of all of this of pro trying to dig themselves out of the hole. You know, if Laren gets injured on that tackle, he's still injured.
0: Right. Exactly. You you
2: can't say that it should never have happened. Well, it did happen. You still have to rule upon the facts. And I think you, you bring up an interesting point is 100 times out of 100, the line, the assistant referee doesn't call that offside because he's never going to see it. His Mm -hmm. standard positioning for the assistant referee in that position is spot on. You're just not going to be thinking that it's a possibility. I think you you, you just can't say that that it should never have happened. And you can't then turn a blind eye to it the way that they did with Disco this week, too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was going to get to that. Disco, very disappointing. Um, MLS disciplinary committee did not uh, suspend Wimette for a game. This reminds me of going back to last year when Kyle Lahren got sent off against the same Red Bulls. Uh, Sasha Kleschen clearly wasn't even touched, grabbed his leg, screamed, writhed around in pain. And Disco that week came out with nothing for the simulation on, on Sasha Klestian, And you got to think, Daniel, if you're me, I mean, I'm not a cons- – I, I, I shouldn't say that. I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. But I look at it and go, New York favoritism.
1: Uh, I look at it and go MLS conspiracy to get replay put in the game. Uh, so maybe I'm, I'm looking at a more global effect of what MLS, but I mean all, all the major North American sports have or most major uh, North American sports have some, some form of replay. Uh, and I think MLS is wanting to get there and wanting to drive that home. Now, are they conspiring with Pro? I think Pro wouldn't really care because their respect in the league is pretty much in the bucket now. Uh, so I, I don't think... I don't know. I don't want to say conspiracy this, conspiracy that, but uh, replay's got to be in the league. It has to exist. It's not that difficult whenever these decisions happen uh, and these moments in the game happen. There's always an argument with the referee, whatever the call is anyways. Take those 15 or 20 seconds to have a man in the booth who's seeing the play and is able to look at the replay and make the correct decision because these are game-altering, match-altering decisions that affect points, affect playoffs, and... In the end, affect revenue for teams because whether or not they make the playoffs or not, uh, they sell more memorabilia, they get more fans, uh, they sell more tickets, and it's better for the league to have something clean as well because you don't want to detract people to come into the game because they're they're seeing these things happen and the league not doing anything about it.
0: Yeah, it, for me, it's better to it's better to have a good product on the field than a bad product, and what we're seeing is providing uh, a big old. Um, Flaw to the to the product on the field. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, the refereeing's just not been good enough, and not and, and and it's. I get that every team has things happen over the course of a season, but when one team has something happen every week, it's a little bit aggravating <laughs> as a fan yeah. to to sit here and go, "Welp, here it is again. We got pro again. Pro gonna pro. <laughs> uh, you know, it's you know one one team will get a couple a year, and we're getting it every week. And if you go back to the first week of the season, you've got. You've got now a waved off goal against RSL. You've got a pull down in the box late against Chicago. You got the Philadelphia thing. You know, obviously the New England late handball on Carrasco for the ball hitting him in the crest, and uh, and now you've got the the scissor tackle from behind by Wemet. I mean, it's just that's a ton of dropped points. And at the end of the season, you look back and go, oh, missed the playoffs by five points. Those would have come in handy. Um, so it's it, you know, and it's it affects the players, you know and their playoff bonuses and everything. I mean, it's just, it's not acceptable and it needs to be cleaned up, but let's move on. And Andrew, I'll start with you. You're, you're, man of the match for Orlando city, uh, against the red bulls.
2: I mean, I, it's tough. I, I, I want to give it to Tommy Redding. Um, I know he made some mistakes, um, but realistically it was just the, it was eventual math that we were going to get scored on a lot of times. Um, mm-hmm. But because of his performance and the fact that he probably did keep it under double digits, I will go with Joe Bendick. He um, didn't get a lot of plaudits in the start of the season, but he has really grown. And mm-hmm. I think the times that Redding and Hines both did get beaten, he was still there until the floodgates opened, and then I think both all three of those people just kind of collapse into a hole, um, not through any of their fault, just purely pure exhaustion at this point. But mm-hmm. I'm going with Bendick.
0: All right, Daniel.
1: Yeah, I agree with Andrew. I mean, there's there's not a lot of light in this game. There's not a lot of positives to to bring from it. I mean, I guess we did put two in the back of the net, but uh, I'm gonna go with Bendik as well. And I I was I was necessarily a detractor of his at the beginning of the season. I'm still gonna hold on to that right now, pretty tightly. (laughs) Um, But he's been playing well as of late. He's grown in confidence. Uh, He's he's not standing on his uh, on his on his line the entire time. He doesn't seem to be as hesitant and. In this game, he showed well, uh, but whenever you go, get under that type of onslaught, um, the balls are going to end up hitting the back of the net unless your name's Tim Howard and they're playing Belgium.
0: Yeah, three for three for Bendick for me. Um, he His stop on Grella on the volley was unbelievable. It's up for save of the week, but I don't even think that was as good a save as his save on Felipe, who uh, uh, with the diving back against the grain of where he was going at the time and not to give up a rebound was phenomenal. Just an unbelievable save. Uh, stopped it right on the goal line. It didn't allow a rebound. That was that was phenomenal goalkeeping by Bendick and uh, it's unfortunate. He deserved a better fate than what his teammates gave him on uh, on Sunday in New York, or in actually in New Jersey. Can't even give him credit for New York. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, uh, real quick, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but Orlando City B got their first win, and, um, well, Andrew, we'll start with you. Tyler Turner with two goals, a brace to lead the young lions reserves. Uh, did you see a brace in, in Tyler Turner's season coming?
1: Well, you know, uh, I think Andrew may have been put himself on mute there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> nobody, I don't think anybody saw a brace coming from Tyler Turner. Um, I mean the fact that they were able to get points, that's awesome. Uh, and uh, wh- let's talk about Tyler Turner. What, what's, what's this player going to do? I mean, I remember, at the beginning of last year, a lot of people said, "Hey, this is a guy that could make it to the senior club at some point." And you know, he's he's not necessarily made his a name for himself down at the B level yet, um, but he's he's scored some goals, scoring a couple goals, maybe growing a confidence. Do we see this player someone that could uh, potentially help the senior team at some point?
0: Well, Andrew, you can weigh in on that since you were muted before. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think he's definitely growing into that kind of player. But, you know, go back to what we were saying last week. OCB were bad. We didn't see two goals coming from the entire team. (laughs) Never mind two goals coming from one player who plays in a defensive position. Um, And who wasn't really that tall either as a defender. So, you know, not your traditional Seb Hines header. Um, Mm. You just didn't see it. and I, I. hats off to the kid and if he can come in and score those kinds of goals for the senior team in a couple of years then that's what OCB is all about and we should probably be happy that we're starting to see some little bit of a benefit rather than the dourness that happened the second game this weekend for them.
0: Yeah, they, they played again on Monday and they lost uh, on the road uh, at Harrisburg with the City Islanders winning 2-1 they get an own goal off Kyle Callan McFadden's head Um on a play that probably Ridgers easily handles if, if it's not uh, touched by the the defender. And uh, the only goal is not from the run of play for Orlando city B Rochez on a uh, penalty uh, puts, uh, puts Orlando city B on the board and I'll stay with you, Andrew. So, so unmute yourself now while I'm talking. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Should we be concerned with the firepower this team has at Orlando city B that the strikers are and, and midfielders are not scoring goals.
2: Without a doubt. I mean, just going back to the, the, the Red Bulls game, we only had two legitimate strikers um, in the 18, which were Laren and Baptista, who started the game. We're mm-hmm. then going down to OCB, where we've seemed to put all of our strikers, and we're still not scoring. And we still have that DP salary going on with rochez as well as two super draft picks and we're still not seeing the goals we have to be concerned about this franchise strike force not just ocb strike force right now and it's it is really worrying because i don't see where we're, how we're going to solve it with the cap space that we're in with the dp position we're in we have to do some major trades but we're going to have to get people to pick up dead weight for a lot of money to kind of clear some space
0: Mm-hmm. And Daniel, a very eventful weekend for Haji Berry. He plays at Pittsburgh for OCB, gets uh, called up, emergency recall, goes to New York, actually plays against the Red Bulls. Uh, you know, what do you make of, of this young kid? He he seems to have a, a ton of speed, but, you know, you look up at the end of the game and he's played 17 minutes and he's touched the ball four times. Uh, positional awareness.
1: Uh, I think Haji Berry is that in touch. He's got to work on those two things, and it and leads to what – we kind of saw with all the players against the Red Bulls. They, they didn't really have good positional awareness. Uh, like I said, they weren't uh, finding that space. Hansberry, with that speed, and we saw it earlier in the season, getting over the top, he has no problem with that. He has no problem when he sees where the, the defensive line is and, and getting in behind. His problem is is finding those spots, which Kyle Aaron has grown immensely in. Uh, this year compared to last year, making those diagonal runs to find the open space uh, to be able to be an outlet for pressure and then holding up play. Barry doesn't necessarily have either the touch or the positional awareness to be able to do that yet, but with his uh, athleticism, and I, I know most football fans hate hearing the word athleticism, uh, but with his athleticism, he, he has the ability to grow. And it's kind of awkward for me to see Haji Barry getting, getting the call up and maybe uh, not some other players who uh, are having a, a much larger hit on the cap, um, but Barry does bring something l- uh, late in the game—that uh, type of speed. Not a lot of p- players have uh, that can really put pressure on the back line. I'd just like to like to see him use it um, uh, in a, a more a more focused manner and finding those spaces.
0: Mm-hmm. In an ideal world, Haji Barry and and Richie Larea both are starting and getting 90 minutes every game for OCB. Yeah. That's uh, that's what we should be getting from them. Um, let's turn our attention to uh, the big, pleasant awesomeness that we had on Saturday. Orlando Pride playing uh, their first home game ever at the Citrus Bowl, which is now called Camping World Stadium, by the way. <laughs> um, so uh, fill the tent, I guess, is the new um, – would be the new uh, hashtag. The but sense. we're out of there after the season. Anyway, the Pride – it could not have been. We'll start with Andrew. It could not have been a more successful opening game at home by in any facet. You know, the crowd, the result, the excitement of the play. Uh, then it ended up being. I mean, and in, in Alex Morgan uh, putting the cherry on top with a, with her first goal for the Pride. Andrew,
2: it was just. It was such a fantastic environment, atmosphere all the players were completely jazzed for it. You could see it when they were warming up. You could see it when they were walking out. Um, they, I want to say they left their hearts on the field. They kind of knew that they were playing not just for the pride, but they were kind of playing for women's soccer too. Like the league is still early on. It's still trying to get new followers. It saw a great marketplace and a great arena to highlight itself as a future sport in this country. Um, and they were just, it was such a great atmosphere. I really can't big it up enough. Um, My wife thought it was probably one of the best games she's been to in a long time because it had that almost USL environment about people going for the love of the game, not necessarily Mm -hmm. to have their hearts bleed or throw stuff on the field when stuff doesn't work out for them. People were there (laughs) because they wanted to see it, um, even if they weren't necessarily understanding what they were even looking at.
0: No kidding. Uh, Twenty, just under twenty-four thousand, uh, between twenty-three and twenty-four. I think it was twenty-three thousand four hundred and some, if I if I recall correctly. A new NWSL record for attendance. Um, Portland's capacity is less than that, so it can't be it can't be beaten right now. Um, that that record will stand until somebody has the capacity to beat it. So um, it was good to see. Uh, you know, Andrew used the word jazzed up. And that's a perfect segue to talk about Jasmine Spencer because, for my money, she really put on a show on Saturday. Daniel, what did you what did you see from her, and what did you see from the rest of the Pride?
1: Jasmine Spencer, wow! I mean, the, both both against Portland and against Houston, she is a game changer. That pace, uh, her energy that she brings, and she runs the entire time; it's nonstop, like dead sprints. Uh, mm-hmm. That is dangerous. And not only that, but she cuts inside, and she's the ability for her to. To keep the ball while running through traffic, uh, even though she's because she has that low center of gravity, gravity at a uh, uh, five foot one, it's it's really nice to see. She's going to be dangerous, and I, I'm sure she's opening up eyes not just in Orlando with uh, Tom Sermani and others, but uh, around the league as well. And that that can only bode well for the future. But overall, uh, Orlando played really well. Uh, the ladies really took it to Houston, and it was a little unfortunate on Houston's side with Carly Lloyd going out early. Um, but you talk to this team's depth whenever Leon, Leon Sanderson can come off the bench and you just see the quality that and how good she is on the ball and how calm she is on the ball, uh, mm-hmm. especially with that, that free kick that put in the second goal. Um, this team really, I think, has the depth to go a long way, and I know we had a, uh, an ask earlier for some questions that maybe some readers will look at, but I expect this team to be in the conversation for the playoffs and, and maybe even pushing – Passed the semis into the finals this year just because of that depth. And it looks like they're starting to gel a little bit, but there were some scary moments. Um, and it's always good to have Ashlyn Harris back there in goal, as she showed, making some good saves uh, with Houston being able to get on the ball and put some chances on net. So uh, from the back moving forward, this team really looks built to win.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Andrew, uh, we talked about Carly Lloyd going out early in the game. Uh, did that kind of ruin the match for you a little bit, or, or was it okay?
2: I, I think it did ruin it a little bit. It had been so hyped that you, you're going to see Alex Morgan versus Carly Lloyd. But ultimately, I think the, the talent on the field you know, was so great. That the, the women, I can't say how I feel like the pride just really wanted to bring it as a team. Like They were not going to lose this game. Carly Lloyd could have played the full 90 minutes, and they still weren't going to lose this game. Um, It left a little bit something I would have loved to have seen her, you know, play more than four minutes of actual football um, and see what she could have actually done. I mean, she is the World Player of the Year right now. Um, But I I don't want to take anything away from it. I thought everybody played their part, um, from the groundskeeper to the owner. It was just a fantastic experience.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Awesome, a three-one win. the The first half ended scoreless. It was a bit of a pedestrian first half, played mostly between the two boxes. It came out after halftime. Leanne Sanderson was inserted into the match and and immediately made an impact. Uh, in the you know the composure she had on the ball, the ability to pick out players, the ability to hold on to the ball in traffic. Uh, she did a lot of good things, brought a lot of good things to the table, and um, you know we hope to see her playing full ninety minutes here pretty soon. She she definitely impacted the game. The first uh, first goal uh, was an own goal by Andressa for uh, Houston, but it was basically forced by Spencer and Morgan uh, pushing the ball forward into the box. Uh, the second goal was Sanderson made a, 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 just a tremendous play by you know, getting a free kick in a good area and deciding, I'm going to go ahead and take this quick, so let me ask the ref. She said, can I take this? The ref said yes, so if she had permission. She turned around, ran at the ball, put it in the back of the net. And just a smart player, a uh, smart play by a smart player, and and Tom Sermani could not talk, have talked uh, more glowingly about her after the match. And, and then of course the the highlight goal uh, at the you know at the end of thir- the last of the three was uh, Spencer uh, coming down the left side, cutting in toward the box, sending in Steph Catley, who played another good game for Orlando. And uh, Catley found Morgan for the one-time touch, uh, the one time, uh, shot into the net. So uh, it was 3 nothing at that point. They did pull one back. Uh, Andressa with a really just amazing goal uh, from distance that, that uh, Harris had no chance on. And, and that was the only way you were beating Ashlyn Harris because she made some really, really great saves. And uh, she's up for a save of the week on, uh, I think it was Janine Becky who came in one-on-one. And uh, she just got a hand on it and sent it just wide from... I mean, there was acres of space, and, and it was just a great, great save, and and a very key save 19 minutes into the match. Uh, Daniel, let's we'll start with you, your player of the game for the Orlando Pride.
1: Wow, what a lot of lot of girls or a lot of women, excuse me, to talk to here. Um, I, I I would have to say, man, I'm gonna give it to Harris because she was she was a rock back there. I mean, I, the ability for the team to have so so much confidence uh, in a keeper like that, and she showed so well. Like you said, the, the, the goal that did get by her uh, was an amazing feat in itself. But um, Harris has been really well, uh, really good the, the first
2: two games, and uh, hopefully
1: she can keep that type of form going. All right, Andrew?
2: Uh, I, I am going to diverge a little bit. I'm actually going with Sanderson. Mm-hmm. I thought we talked about a pedestrian first half. It was. Mm-hmm. She came in the complete dynamic of the entire team changed. We looked aggressive. We looked like we could actually play. We looked like we were a team that had come to compete this first year. She just, she did that in the Thorns game too. So she's going to be my player for that game.
0: All right. I'm going to make it three for three with different people <laughs> on, on the, on uh, the pride side by going with Jasmine Spencer. I think that, uh, you know, we've, we've had some folks on Twitter and, and in our comments say that they don't, Like the way she plays, she has a heavy touch, she can't pass this and that. I I think that, yeah, she sometimes does have trouble with that final ball, like um, number 18 on the men's side. (laughs) But uh, I also think she affected the game both times in a very positive way, in a way that no one else really seemed to be able to do. And I think that if it weren't for Spencer being on the pitch, I think that you know, both the Portland game. And the Houston game could have could have wound up very lopsided the other way because I think there were times when you know they couldn't do anything with her. She was uh, she was getting roughed up a bit. She's very very short. She's very small. She's only five foot one, and uh, she took a lot of abuse, but she kept going. And Tom Sermanni uh, showed that he wasn't from the U.S. when he called her the Duracell Bunny instead of the uh, Energizer Bunny.
1: <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh,
0: after the match, but yeah, she's. You know, she just keeps going, and it doesn't matter how much you rough her up or how you know you try to to play physical with her. She just continues to get forward and, and make runs and draw fouls and and be a dangerous presence. And and I think that you know her playing to the left of Morgan really has helped that offense uh, you know immensely over the first two games. So we'll see how she develops because. She's just a pick from the, the expansion draft. She's something that another team didn't want. They left her unprotected, and you know now she's with the Pride. So uh, she's she's doing very well. And and Steph Catley also, I spoke with her after the match, and she spoke very glowingly of of, uh, of Jasmine Spencer's efforts for first two games. So uh, an enjoyable game, and the the of course the the Pride will be in action on Sunday, going to Chicago to play the Red Stars. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, they will be back home on May 8th to play the Seattle Rain at five o'clock. So uh, if you didn't get to go to opening day, you know, go on May 8th. It's a Sunday. Uh, it's a Sunday afternoon, so even though it's a school night, you know, you can take the whole family. You'll be home in plenty of time to get everybody, get the kids to bed at a decent hour. Ah, uh, so I think we've wrapped up all we need to wrap up. So it's time to look ahead, and of course, Orlando City plays the New England Revolution on. Saturday night up at Gillette Stadium, and uh, we're going to bring in uh, a guest here to talk about that a little bit uh, right after this. Okay, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, we are uh, proud and pleased to uh, welcome Jake Cadanese from the uh, Bent Musket blog. They are SB Nation's New England Revolution blog. Jake, how you doing?
3: Boo, podcast. Come on, guys. You knew that was coming.
0: We are punny guys yes. here. <laughs> oh
3: my god, this this network and their puns will be the death of me. If not if not <laughs> MLS Reeves, referees getting to me first.
0: Yes. Well, you know, it's always something here. Oh. Um, Jake, uh, first of all, why don't you tell folks on the you know out in the, the podcast land where they can find you on Twitter and online, uh, where they can read your stuff.
3: Well, sure. You have, obviously, SBNation.com slash MLS and slash soccer. You should always be going there anyway. Um, the TheBentMusket.com mm-hmm. for all the revolution things. And me personally, um, at JCatanese43, uh, C-A-T-A-N-E-S-E is the last name. Um, and, yeah, always, you know, check out, you know, if you're, you know, a, a regular follower of, of the mainland or the podcast, um, you know, go browse through the, uh, you know, the opposition hashtag uh, for us. It's uh, hashtag any revs, um, you know, just to sort of, you know, get a feel, of, you know, what the you know, talk is about before the games and things like that. And, you know, mm-hmm. feel free to, you know, ask questions. A lot of us are, are and, pretty, pretty receptive to answering things. All
0: right. And e revs. So, I'm, you know, when I was a kid, I had this uh, I'm kind of an older guy. So, like, when I was a kid, it was a long time ago. I had this toy. It was an evil Knievel on his motorcycle. And you just like set them in a the little thing, and you wound it up and let it go. And I'm going to do that right now by asking you, what the hell happened two weeks ago when New England <laughs> and Orlando played, and the referee lost his damn mind at the end of the game? I
3: like from your perspective. From my perspective, there the less egregious of the mistakes is the Molino handball because that happened perhaps away from. Um, the referee, uh, Toledo and his assistant, but you know, while it was still a blatant handball, I'm not talking Thierry Henry versus Ireland blatant because that was bad, but would I put it in the same category as, Hey, remember that? Yeah. Kevin Molino sort of did that, but it was far less obvious. It hit his hand. It wasn't like it was an egregious thing. It hit his hand. It dropped to his foot. He gained an advantage and he slotted a ball home. Everyone saw it, at least from new England. But through the trees in the forest, Baldomero Toledo and his assistants couldn't see it. To me, that sometimes is a reasonable thing if it weren't for the fact that the year Pro is having really affecting, like, this isn't the first time this has happened. It's not the first time it's happened to England. It wasn't the last time it would happen to Orlando. As we saw two minutes later, um, (laughs) I got to tell you right now, I know many years ago when I was a youth referee, there was always the argument of, Is your shoulder a part of your arm? And I had many youth coaches because I wasn't very good at heading the ball. I would bounce things off my shoulder all the time. And they'd always say, that's a handball. I'm like, how am I supposed to detach my shoulder from the position that it's in and not have the ball play off? I didn't understand it. I didn't let it bother me. But Servando Carrasco to be called for a handball in that situation was a mistake. It's not a handball. His arms are clearly not only behind him, but at his side, perhaps the fact that maybe he dipped the shoulder into the ball, which would still, in my opinion, be fine, maybe is what sold it to Baltimore Toledo as it being a foul. As far as it being a penalty kick, that is actually where the referee and the crew and the conversation to actually get it right. Because even though we disagree with the original call, we can't now compound the error and say, well, it didn't happen outside the box when it actually did. So we actually have to go and point to the spot and give Lee Win a chance to tie the game. And, yeah, it wasn't good. That game should have ended 1-1. It should have been zero controversy. And instead, everyone went home unhappy, and the Orlando groundskeepers had some things to clean up after the game.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a little bit of an issue on our side. But, I mean, just like you said, we could harp on the pro referees for – a long time yes. uh, so far this season, everyone's had issues. But let's talk a little bit more about the match. You know, New England actually played really well here, even though we got off on that early foot with the uh, PK slotted home by Kaká. Uh, and now we have a quick turnaround with the rematch up there in New England. How do you see the match going, and uh, and what do you see as some of the key matchups?
3: You know, it's it's very much the same. Um, New England actually is uh, right now at halftime um, as we record this against Portland 0-0. Um, And I know somewhere on your site, I don't remember who wrote it, but someone was talking about limiting the service from Chris Tierney. Now, Chris Tierney, our vaunted left back, is not playing at the moment. He has an injury. And in his place, Donnie Smith, a guy who's had all of zero starts at left back up until today, but has basically been the sort of successor at the position, except Chris Tierney never misses games, is actually playing fairly well. He drew a foul, um, gave a yellow card to, I think it was... No, I have to go and find it now. Um, Zarek Valentin actually just picked up a yellow card in stoppage time and that was because Donnie Smith stole the ball off of him. So I think for, from a concept standpoint, you're right about needing the revolution to, to eliminate the service because if you're going to clog the middle and deny Lee Wynn chances, you're going to have to make sure that what the revolution are going to do next is get the ball out wide and then cross it back in. You have to make sure that the defense that you have compact in the box is prepared for it and ready to deal with not just the first ball, but the second ball that might come afterwards. And I think Orlando did a fairly good job of that, um, in the first game, um, up until really, you know, the goal that Teal Bunbury scored that basically fell right to him. And he almost flew over the crossbar. It was a very, I thought very even game. And, and I think you're going to see that again, um, this weekend.
2: Well, and, um, you've mentioned the game that they're currently playing. It looks like, um, Charlie Davies has actually come off the come off injured, um, yes. and you have, you know, this is, Saturday's game will be your third game in eight days. Um, how do you think that's going to stretch the squad? Uh, this, you know, this early in the season.
3: Well, the Revolution already have problems scoring goals, and, and whether or not it's 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 a striker problem or a formation problem, we we can debate in New England. Um, the, the bigger issue right now is just the Revolution aren't scoring. It doesn't matter who's up front, doesn't matter who's in the wing. New England is just not scoring goals. And what you'll probably see is some combination of either Juan Aguidelo or Teal Bunbury up front. Um, Femi Hollinger-Jansen has been a, um, a third-round rookie who has shown some some interesting um, promise off the bench in, in very limited minutes and appearances this year. And, um, you know, I, I think it's it's just a matter for the revolution, really, of just breaking out of the funk that they're in. And um, whether or not it happens, you know, today or maybe this weekend against Orlando, it, 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 New England needs a game where they just pace somebody like 4-0. And they just get the confidence back because they're still playing like the Revolution. They're still pinging little passes around in the final third. They're still opening up defenses. Just they're doing everything but just putting the ball into the back of the deck. And I think for for Orlando a, as a team who I think can can play not so much to the red strength, but to you know play a very good compact game and can hit out on the counter. Um, you know New England is not a team that you really thought of going into the year as a team that you want want them to have a lot of the ball because really what you're more scared about is probably New England on the counter. Sitting back and playing defense and forcing the Revolution to beat you has actually been a very effective strategy at times for a lot of teams. And it's one of the reasons why new England's having so many problems scoring early on in the year. So I expect Orlando to sort of play the sort of the same thing. It's sort of, it's an interesting matchup, almost a mirror matchup as far as the formations go. Orlando doesn't mind sitting back and hitting back on the counter. Um, and new England certainly doesn't mind having the ball, but they'd like opportunities to break out and, and uh, get numbers forward uh, with advantage.
0: Yeah. Jake, you mentioned uh, the Tierney thing and our, on our site, we did, did talk about, uh, I think Brent had turned that in, then discovered there was an injury, and, and we did put in a line about that, so we, we kind of covered for it. But speaking of fullbacks, um, I want to get your thoughts on how you thought Kevin Alston played in the, the the match two weeks ago, and also, how would you have felt had he put that late
3: chance in the net? <laughs> um, Well, uh, up until that chance, I think someone, someone I'm sure on, on the Revolution hashtag probably went... Yeah, that's a Kevin Alston shot, but uh, no, it, it Alston. For for those that aren't aren't aware, um, he went battled through leukemia several seasons ago and, and came back um, to be the uh, the league's uh, comeback player of the year, which was a very uh, special thing um, for us in Boston. And Alston's a guy that you know you you want to have him on your team, um, whether or not he's actually playing a lot of minutes. He's a, he's certainly a player who can step in whenever you want can play either fullback position, doesn't mind getting forward, um, pretty good service into the box. And really the only problem that he ever had in New England was just, he he has just, you know, hamstring problems. He was always, um, you know, battling through injuries it seemed. And and with the leukemia battle, it was just another another thing that just piled on to, um, you know, a a great player. uh, And and more importantly, I think a great presence in the locker room. And um, it certainly would have been sad, but it's also, you know, New England, you know, went out and, you know, picked up Javon Watson um, effectively to, um, to replace him at, at right back and um, also have um, rookie Jordan McCrary selected in the first round of the MLS draft. So New England seems you know fairly deep in, at fullback now. Um, Darius Barnes, another player who was injured for a lot of last year and, and missed some time, um, hasn't played yet this year, but certainly is an option if new England needs him. So while, while we personally miss Kevin, um, the, the revolution have done a fairly well to, uh, to replace him on the roster. And, uh, we think Orlando's gotten a pretty good player and, uh, we were really happy he flew that one over the bar cause that would have sucked. <laughs> you
1: know, Jake, uh, you guys have had, what is this, four games in, in two weeks now. I mean, you've had to travel, uh, to a couple of those. The good thing is you're at home against Portland now, and then you're going to be at home, uh, against Orlando. But, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of play within a, a couple weeks at the beginning of the season. Do you see any changes to the lineup that maybe Orlando can exploit, or um, is it are they going to really roll out that same lineup they've been playing with, and especially those top four up top?
3: Yeah, you know, the, the top four might change um, a little bit as far as, you know, you really have, you know, a certain number of players like, you know, Davies, Bunbury, Rowe, Fagundes. Lee Wynn's probably always going to play, but there's always any combination of other three guys who could be around him at striker and at wing. Um, we uh, Scott Caldwell did not start against Portland right now, and he's still not in the game. So it's more than likely you'll see Scott Caldwell and either a combination of Gershon Kofi or Daigo Kobayashi, who are the two starting holding midfielders right now, um, will probably be in some combination um, in the two holding spots. It'll be very interesting to see if the entire back line can stay together Um, Donnie Smith is not a player who gets a lot of minutes. It's his first appearance of the season. Actually, his first appearance in maybe two years. Um, So you might see a combination of um, London Wordberry at right back and a Javon Watson at left back. Um, Maybe Chris Tierney's back for that game. But it certainly seems like there could be some changes, but it's probably nothing that's going to affect the Revolution game plan and certainly not the Revolution lineup. Um, One of the big knocks on Jay Heaps um, the last year or so has been his inability to get out of the standard 4-2-3-1 and and, late in games, you're really not changing anything. Sometimes they go three to the back if there's a red card or something like that, but it's really been the the staple of the revolution has been to use that formation and uh, really just pass the ball around a lot in the final third and hit back on the counter. So none of that's going to change in the immediate um, future. Um, even though the Revolution are you know, rotating the squad a little bit and you know, changing out maybe one or two players, but nothing certainly uh, that you guys should be you know, completely blindsided by.
2: Well, and I guess it brings a potential interesting point, is, you know, you are in the middle of a squad rotation. Um, who We have just seen you guys a couple of weeks ago, but who do you think we should be watching out for as you rotate, get some fresh bodies on the, the field and actually stay fresh to remain competitive?
3: You know, I, I think I, there's no one on the field that you that's like a completely unknown. It would be very interesting to me, though, if, if we did get to see either a start or a very long shift off the bench from a Femi Hollinger Jansen, the, the rookie striker who hasn't seen a ton of minutes on the field, but I think has, has certainly deserved it. Um, when Charlie Davies came off, I was actually surprised that he wasn't the one summoned into the game. Juan Aguidelo's now on the field, is coming back from an injury himself. Uh, Teal Bunbury has spent a couple games up top, and he's perhaps not the best guy you want as a, your lone forward in New England. It's never been something that's worked out very well, even though he's played well and done a lot of little things right, um, even against Orlando two weeks ago. I know he did score the goal, um, but I think there, there's it's more of, of it's always been sort of a team aspect, like, even with Lee wins. 2014 MVP season there's still you know it's more the the team around him. it's a collective effort you know it's any number of one or two players can combine to beat you at any given time and that includes the fullbacks that includes even you know someone like Andrew Farrell making a run up into the midfield from the center back position Um, but I think it would be interesting to see uh, maybe one of the unknown holding midfielders like a Gershon Kofi or a Daigo Kobayashi really get involved and creating a goal or two Um, Daigo Kobayashi had a winner or uh, an equalizer I should say um, in Houston um, in stoppage time uh, which was a very very nice game for the revolution as far as offense goes but they haven't been able to put you know three goals into the net I don't think they even put two goals into the net aside from the Orlando game this season so you know like I said you're sort of more waiting for the revolution as a team to break out rather than one player to break out at this point
0: Jake, you know, before we let you go, we, we can't let you get out of here without giving your key matchup to the game on Saturday night and, and also your score prediction. But even before we get to that, just a quick, if you could just comment real quick about your thoughts on, on Jermaine Jones and, and him leaving the uh, leaving the Revolution and now what he's doing in Colorado.
3: Well, it, you know, that was always a very divisive topic. I, I was in the camp that, that firmly wanted Jermaine Jones to come back um, at whatever cost the revolution would obviously think that he was worth and whatever it worked out to be the revolution didn't think that it was, it was necessary. Maybe that was from a contract standpoint. Maybe it was from a salary standpoint. I'm not a hundred percent sure. No one really knows when it comes to sometimes the revolution and contract negotiations. Um, certainly I think that Jones is a player that could still help this team. Um, but like, you know, Kevin Alston going to Orlando, the, you know, new England went out and got, uh, Gershon Kofi. They got uh, players that they thought could help them this year, and uh, you know they moved on. And, and I think collectively as a team, the Revolution haven't played you know terribly in his absence. They're certainly not scoring goals, but they ha- they aren't necessarily playing you know badly. You know you can argue, well, they look kind of bad against DC last week, but that was really just the last you know few minutes. You know, you, very much like the Orlando game, you give up an early penalty. You're behind the eight ball, and then sort of goes awry at the end. But um, you know, I'm, I'm happy for Jermaine. I, I, you know, I'm still a U.S. national team fan. You want to see him performing well at the club level because it probably means he'll he'll play well at the international level. Um, and uh, I'm not really sure I would use him as a central attacking midfielder, um, <laughs> like uh, Colorado's using him as. But you know what? I'm I'm not really going to complain if that's something that he uh, is doing and he's being productive at it, that more power to him. Um, I'm certainly going to miss him, uh, on the field. Um, you know, but you know, revolution still have a very good core of players that are still, um, you know, I don't think they're playing as badly as a one, two and five or whatever the record is, um, that they're playing right now. And I don't think Jermaine Jones entirely, even with the six game suspension, uh, changes that.
0: All right, and your key matchups and a score prediction for Saturday.
3: You know, I'm, I'm going to go back. Um, if uh, I'm going to say Julio Baptista. Is that, is that I get that right? Baptiste? Baptista? Yeah,
0: Bacista, Baptista. Baptista,
3: yeah. that's it. I, I keep thinking the rest of it, but that's not exactly it. Um, I'm going to go. I, I liked him uh, from an Orlando standpoint, not because he drew the early penalty, but just that's a very— a very New England type player that I think a lot of players have thought, you know, a lot of fans have thought we need that type of player. Almost a true number nine um, target striker. Um, you know, the trio of, you know, Davies, Bunbury, and Aguidelo have, have been effective um, and have some wonderful moments for New England, but there's just that, that true target big 6'3", 6'4", guy who's just a gigantic problem to deal with no matter what. And you saw it against New England. He didn't get a lot of the ball, but when he did, it was very, very effective. So I think if he can recreate any part of that magic um, early on in the game, he did draw a penalty. Uh, he's going to have to deal with Jose Gonzalez more than likely um, as center back instead of Andrew Farrell and Javon Watson, uh, who was mm-hmm. deputized from fullback to center back for that game. But, um, you know, I'm really excited to sort of see that because Jose Gonzalez um, is the master of shielding players off the ball. And he sometimes does this for the entire length of the 18, I think, just because he can. And you guys should enjoy the art and mastery that he does when when he is boxing someone off the ball um, because I always get a kick out of it. And I think it'll be a fun matchup to sort of watch that particular little um, bit of soccering skill between Baptiste and Calvez uh, in the box uh, this weekend.
0: And what do you think the score will end up being?
3: Uh, God, The Revolution, if they don't beat Portland today, which I can't expect them to do um, midweek, if this game ends 0-0, I will be completely content with that. Uh, they, need to, they need to beat Orlando this weekend. There's just no other – there's no doubt about they need a win. They need three points. So I have to predict three points, uh, and I'm going to have to do it in emphatic fashion. I'm going to go 3-0, um, a, a bit of a pasting, but it will be a very hard-fought 3-0. It won't be easy. <laughs> Orlando will make our lives miserable for about 75 minutes before we break open and maybe score one or two late um, to – unflatter the score line a little bit
0: wow so you're going with the exact same scores from last year two two and, and three 0 yeah i was looking at that somehow year. somehow <laughs>
3: the results it's one of those things where we play these weird games in orlando that end up as ties and then you guys show <laughs> up on the turf in the northeast and then bad things just happen so yeah i i did notice that i wasn't an intentional that i did that but no that mm. that is something that i noticed was like Oh yeah, that was that weird <clears throat> two-two game where the New England somehow blew a two-nil lead last year. I remember that. Um, well,
0: like like in that game, we we don't know that Kaká will play, and uh, we we expect to have Breck Shea, but you never know. Weird things uh, seem to happen. Yeah. Well, did he with, get uh, did
3: he get suspended this week?
0: Uh, no, no. Um, you know, I'm just saying because uh, bad things seem to happen to us, oh, especially nice. in- injury-wise. Um, soft tissue injuries seem to be a, a recurring problem. Um, the last couple of games before. Before the game, we found out somebody was hurt. Like Kaká, we found out the mm. night before, Higuita. and the week. But yeah, the week before, Christian Nagita had a groin injury that didn't crop up till he was on the road trip.
3: Well, yeah, and, so, and and soft <laughs> and soft tissue issues uh, injuries when you combine them with the Gillette Stadium turf, I bet don't really do all that well.
0: No, um, so I'm, I'm, that's why I don't think Kaká will play because unless he's one hundred percent, you don't risk him yeah, on that surface. I I, I
3: certainly wouldn't. I mean, maybe if you were thinking a little a late shift off the bench. Um. If, if you're looking for an equalizer, but now I, I would, you know, like I said, this is a game New England perhaps needs far more than a Orlando. So, you know, if Orlando, not to say that Orlando is going to give the game away, but it's certainly a game where if they don't win it or they go out and they get a 1-1 type draw, they're certainly not going to be unhappy with a result like that, um, particularly in New England, which has been a place that not a lot of people get points from uh, in in recent history, not so much this season, but, um, during the cup run and during uh, recent seasons with Jay Heaps.
0: All right, Jake Cadney's from the Bent Musket, thanks so much for being our guest here on the Mainland Podcast. We have no parting gifts, as always. Oh, and uh, okay. we, we wish you, uh, after this week, uh, we wish you uh, luck the rest of the season.
3: Uh, and I do as well, despite the fact that uh, Kyle and is Canadian. He did attend the University of Connecticut, and we still love him. May he not score <laughs> a goal in New England ever again. <laughs>
0: uh well you know he, he he enjoys the northeast as we've seen so we'll see what happens yes, on saturday yes. night jake thanks so much for being with thanks, us jake. no problem thanks
3: guys thanks
0: okay well uh that just about does it guys uh, it was uh it was good to have jake cat uh, of the bent musket on the program and uh you know he's he's a guy who knows his soccer and he's He's very passionate, as you could probably tell. That that came through, I think, pretty well, and, and also knowledgeable. I think that came through as well. And um, you know, who says all the people from Boston are, are obnoxious?
1: Doesn't everyone?
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. Everyone <laughs> does. Uh, even even other people from Boston, yeah. I think, say that. Uh, but you know what? It's it's going to be it's going to be a, a, a good match. I mean, it was a very hotly contested first meeting. Uh, I don't expect, you know, the second game to be a blowout like it was last year. There were a lot of guys missing last year, uh, for from the international break um, when we went to Gillette Stadium last year, and, and I don't expect that it to be quite so lopsided this time. But uh, a- again, it is a tough place to play, and and New England will be a desperate team on on. Saturday night, and I don't like playing desperate teams because, uh, you know, these teams have been around in the league a few years, and, and you know, a, a lot of the guys on Orlando are still, still fairly new to the league. So, um, you know, it can it can cause problems, especially for young players. Uh, but before we get to our New England key matchups and our score predictions, uh, why don't we get to our Ask the Mainland segment? Uh, we've got a couple of questions here, and uh, we'll... We'll start with Daniel, and uh, we're going to uh, field a question here from Sam Coffey, who asks, uh, thoughts on the Orlando Pride's dominant performance on Sunday and future attendance for Pride games? So so what did you think about the dominating performance, and what do you think we'll see sort of from an average uh, attendance uh, moving forward?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's exciting to see the Pride be able to, to, to you know put goals, uh, put the ball back in the back of the net, and... Um, Played well at home. You know, uh, they, they played well uh, on the road against Portland in the opening match, and we see some mm-hmm. uh, some young stars rising up, and, and Jasmine Spencer that we talked to earlier, and Steph uh, Catley, wow, she is so good. Um, I mean, really, really good. Leon Sanderson as well. Alex Morgan, of course, Ashlyn Harris, Harrison goal. This team is going to be exciting. Uh, it's unfortunate that it's a short season with the NWSL, um, but as it keeps growing, hopefully we get more games as well. Um, but uh, look for Orlando to, to, to fight for a playoff spot and then hopefully uh, drive on from there. And with the attendance as well, we sat around 24,000 for the opening game. I think a lot of people left happy. Um, I don't know what kind of viewership there was on YouTube. Unfortunately, they don't have a, a, a channel that's covering them yet, and neither does NWSL. Um, but look for around 15 to 16,000. I think that's uh, the number Alex Morgan was putting out there, right? So... Um, look for the team trying to to, to get that t- those type of numbers in the in the stadium and and draw big crowds
0: all right Andrew your thoughts on that
2: um I I, I guess first of all on the dominant performance I wouldn't have called it a dominant performance yes we won three1 but Houston did look dangerous they didn't have Collie Lloyd um both sides it could have really swung anyway in the first 45 if mm-hmm. somebody had managed to break through um I think we just had we eventually all meshed together. I think the crowd managed to get them more of the energizing. I'm not taking anything away from their performance. I just wouldn't describe Mm -hmm. it as dominant. Um, in terms of attendance, I'm going a lot further down than Daniel. I am going to say that I think our average, um, after the first couple of games, will go down to around eight and a half to nine and a half thousand. Um, I just think you're going to get into the heat of summer. We're going to have a break for the Olympics. Um, there's going to be some fallout from people who are going to get soccer tired. will have had like 40 total games by August or something across all three clubs. <laughs> um, I expect numbers to drop off and into that kind of ballpark.
0: All right. Well, I, will, I will say that it's – I think it's fair to say that maybe it wasn't a dominating performance in terms of, uh, of the way that the two teams competed. But, but obviously the final score looked uh, good and it was very flattering and uh, you know and, and kudos to the pride for for finding a way to get the ball in the net and kudos to uh, Orlando City or Orlando Pride's uh, defense and goalkeeper for for preventing goals and I think that um, you know I it's not quite there yet this team still coming together still hasn't gelled I mean you saw some issues uh, uh you know, Laura Alloway is one of the one of the world's better center backs and she had she coughed up two balls that uh, that ended up in, in dangerous situations. Um, and, and I think that there's still some some gelling to do there and I think that this team will get better and better and and I'm, i I think I agree I agree with Daniel in that the team should compete for a playoff spot. I don't know that they'll make the playoffs. They might finish fifth or, or sixth, but I think that it's certainly at least a mid table team uh, in year one. And once they learn to play together and, and you know get some more time together, uh, I think certainly it's a team that should challenge for championships down the road. The way that they are are built, so if they continue to to you know to bring in these types of players, I think they should be uh, much better down the road. I think the attendance wise, I think by the end of the season, based on the the good opening weekend number. I think they'll probably finish with an average attendance in the neighborhood of 10,000, 11,000 because of this 23 plus that we had, um, which over the course of uh, 10 home matches, that's that's pretty good. I think it's won't, I don't think it'll be an NWSL record uh, average attendance, but I think it'll be a very good one and it'll be uh, among the best in the league. So thanks, Sam, for your uh, questions. Uh, our last question this week comes from Josh Green, who actually, Josh, is going to do some graphics work for us. So, uh, Josh, thanks for writing in. Uh, he wants to know, we'll start with Andrew this time, how can Orlando City, how can we improve our defense and avoid letting missed calls get to us?
2: How can we improve our defense? I mean, we need to... Well, that's a structured question. I mean, we need to get rid of some dead weight. Obviously, we need to ship out <clears throat> Holland so that we can free up some cap space. Um, I'm not too sure... Is it, I think you've got to improve everybody else first, you know, that we really saw a capitulation from the defense ultimately because they were just getting no protection from everybody playing in front of them. Usually they have that in Higuita and Saren, but if they give up, they've basically got 90 minutes of just being barraged. Um, And I think you may also just have to get people who play that position, you know. Ramos is very young, has very little experience other than what he's given us um, in terms of games it, mm-hmm. Rex Shea, we're trying to convert him into a left back and I think really the um, Red Bulls game kind of showed you his limitations um, in defense and then I really think we are actually got the best partnership that we could right now um, and we just have to be able to get rid um, unfortunately of the people sitting warming the bench right now that are taking up a lot more money than Redding and Hines combined in terms of just calling salary alone.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and Daniel, why don't you why don't you take the second part of that question? How, how can the team avoid letting missed calls get to them?
2: Uh,
0: I don't
1: know how the team can avoid that whenever it happens so often. Uh, if it wasn't a regular occurrence, then I don't think it would bother many people if it, it happened uh, every now and again. But uh, as, a, as a professional, they have to make sure that they're always always looking ahead and always to make a mark on, on the, on the match. And if a missed mm-hmm. call happens, right, you have to move forward. You can't worry about what just happened. Just like a goalkeeper. If he lets in a goal, can't worry about the last goal. He has to be ready for the next save. Um, so that's how the team needs to operate moving forward. And speaking to the point of how can we get better as well as possession, we have to hold the ball. This team last year was very good at possessing the ball and putting passes and stringing those together and, and really pinning teams in the, their, their half and, we haven't seen that this year. Um, and that's how you can help your defense is by possessing the ball. Any team that can possess the ball uh, helps their defense, and Orlando needs to figure out how to do that again.
0: Yeah, I, I think that if you're going to play Tommy Redding, my, my answer on the defensive question, if you're going to play Tommy Redding, you're going to have to live with his mistakes. So, um, you know, if your idea is he's going to be the future, we're going to play him, you have to live with those mistakes, and they're going to happen. And it's just like, you know, when you're if you're a football fan and you have a rookie quarterback playing you know he's going to make mistakes. You have to live with it and go, darn it, and, and just move on. Um, the uh, the uh, you know the only only other thing you can really do is start playing Dave, David Mateos because he was sup- supposed to be the starter at the beginning of the year and he got hurt. Uh, so you know theoretically there's a reason he was supposed to be the starter. He's supposedly the best option. So you know maybe you bring in Mateos and let him and Hines, you know, build that partnership. Uh, you know of, of two guys that have been around a little while. I agree with Andrew that you cannot have that much salary in center backs sitting on the bench. You can't have Colin and Mateos, uh, who are, are both pricey center backs, sitting on the bench. If they're going to be there, you're going to have to ship them out and bring in somebody that can do, the, you know, can be the backups for cheaper. Uh, there's just no two ways about it. You can't spend that much money on your bench and, and just sit there and hope you never have to use them. I mean, because if you're if they're your backups, that's what you're saying. That's like okay, breaking case of emergency. <laughs> Uh, so, that I mean, that's my thought. As for the other thing, I, I think that you see a, a fairly positive response on, on Twitter from the players when these bad calls happen. Because most of them happen at the end of the games. So, you know, they, they'll tweet things out like, you know, you can only control what you can control and not worry about the rest. We'll get them next time. You know, so they're saying the right things. Um, in terms of the New York game, that one did happen in the middle of the game. And I don't know that it really affected let that I don't know that they let that non-call get in their heads. Uh, it's possible that Laren did but I mean everybody else was in full helter skelter defense mode you know throughout the game So I mean I don't think anything changed on that end it's just New York finally finished to play. Uh, they were bound to do it sooner or later. I mean Bendick can't be Superman forever so um, you know that's those are just my thoughts. So uh, Josh, thanks so much for your question. Thanks everybody if you want to ask us, uh, anything you want to know. It doesn't even have to be soccer-related. Uh, just uh, use the hashtag AskTMLPC, the mainland podcast. AskTMLPC on Twitter or email us. And put Ask the Mainland in your uh, email uh, subject line, and uh, you can email us at themainland@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Uh, guys, final thoughts here. We're going to get to our key matchups and score predictions. Daniel, we'll start with you. Orlando City at New England.
1: Uh, well, I think the key matchups here have got to be our our defense against that attacking four, whatever it's going to be from New England. New England, uh, Diego Fagundes, Kellen Rowe. Uh, I think Charlie Davies went out injured uh, tonight, but T. L. Bon- Bonbury. If Chris Tierney's back, Lee Win. Um, our defense is going to have to stay uh, compact. They're going to have to uh, track those those wide runners that like to swing the ball in the box and. Shea is going to have to be on his game, and whoever's manning the other side, uh, be it Ramos or Kevin Olson, uh, can't can't lose track of their their men. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see playing up there in New England. I know New England's played a lot of matches. They're they're coming off a short week here. They actually they're playing tonight right against Portland. I think ending in one one. That that's going to be a, there's going to be key matchups all across the back with those those four that New England have. But I'm going to call a win with Orlando for two one. Uh, and the reason being because I think the short time frame, that turnaround from New England playing Portland tonight, hopefully uh, that 1-1 draw is going to tire some of those players out. Uh, Charlie Davies getting injured. I know that Tierney is questionable to play. Um, so that, that lineup might not be as cohesive as they'd want. Uh, and I'm mm-hmm. saying Kevin Molino is going to get a goal, and then Venter's going to get back in the books as well. I think he's going to get his third of the season.
0: All right. Well, uh, uh, thanks, Daniel. And uh, Andrew, what do you think is going to happen, and what's your key matchup?
2: Uh, I'm going to switch it around and and, and really say it's Laren against their center backs. Um, They've undergone some defensive shuffling right now if Tyranny doesn't play. Um, They've also put Woodbury rested midweek, so he's going to be fresh and ready to go. Um, I think it's going to be about Laren trying to get the opportunities that may be few and far between into the back of the net, and that's the only way we've seen it we haven't he hasn't been getting the supply that he needs um he has to be able to take those chances that come his way so I'm going Laren against the defense um I am not calling it a win I am going to go for a one all draw um I think this team likes draws I think they'd be very happy with a point away from home and I think we're going to snatch one I do not think it will be Laren um I think it will come somewhere from the midfield um I like Vinter I potentially to get back in the books too. He just seems like he really wants to keep going just like the Energizer Bunny <coughs> uh, and grab another one hopefully in that game.
0: All right. Well, I'm also going to say 1-1, one, one, and I'll give you my key matchup in a moment. But I, I think that um, what kills more offense for me is I just don't think Kakam is going to be in the lineup. I don't think that you risk him on the Gillette you know, stadium turf if he's not 100%, and I don't know that he will be. So I'm going to say that um, that that the offense suffers a little bit, and I think it's 1-1. And I think that my key matchup is whoever slots in for Kaká against the you know, central midfielders for for uh, New England. That's my key matchup. If it's if it's Batista again, you know he's going to have to do more than he did at New York. He just wasn't good enough in my book. Uh, if they decide to go with a different look and a 4-3-2-1, then you know, that basically puts it probably on Venter and Molino to get that job done uh, in Kaká's absence. So uh, this is all predicated on, on me just assuming that Kaká will not be available for one more game, and we don't know that at this point, um, this early in the week as we're recording this, but uh, I'm assuming he's not going to be in, and, and so, you know, my thought is the, uh, the main attacking midfield against the central midfield of New England is the key matchup in a 1-1 final, and I'm going to say that the... The scoring play is Kyle Laren and uh, it's going to be on a header from across, potentially from Breck Shea. So there you go. That's my uh, that's that's our bold predictions. And, and guys, uh, before we get out of here, I do want to ask you this: What are the Pride going to do against the Red Stars and Kristen Press on uh, on Sunday?
2: Uh, I think they'll they will do really well. Um, I think that they will really. They looked like a unit, even though it was only their second competitive game. I think they can go in there, and they, the Red Stars have Kristen Press, but they don't necessarily have great strength and everywhere else around the park. So I, I think it'll be a good, solid two-nil win for them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, okay.
2: I'm actually gonna go with a a one 0
1: win with uh, Morgan putting it, uh, slotting that 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 goal home. The the reason being, Orlando's look like they have they have international talent all around the field. Uh, Chicago doesn't necessarily have that. Uh, Even though they're at home and Christian Press is as good as she is, uh, I don't see them hanging with Orlando. And I think Orlando is just going to dominate possession and and really uh, really, not necessarily run away with it and score, but run away with it in possession.
0: Mm, Okay. Uh, I am going to say 1-1 draw, the Pride and the the Red Stars. I think it's going to be tough to get uh, more than one past the Listener. It's going to be a matchup of U.S. Women's National Team goalkeepers, so uh, we'll see what happens. The the you know the Red Stars come into this game with a win and a loss, just like the uh, the Pride, so they're they're going to be battling for position, and uh, it should be interesting to see what happens. So um, <clears throat> this game could turn on something weird too, like a penalty or something. Yep. So I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw that out there. I, I, I'm am I hearing this right, guys? New England drew again. Yes. That they did, yeah. <laughs> so uh, New England will be coming off a draw and uh, probably getting another draw on uh, <laughs> Saturday. So uh, anyway, um, that'll just about wrap up this edition, uh, episode number 47 of the Mainland Podcast. I want to thank again Jake Cadneys from the Bent Musket, uh, the New England Revolution blog at SB Nation uh, for coming on the show. Uh, of course, uh, you can you can follow us on Twitter, at the Mainland, and you can catch us online at TheMainland.com, and also like our Facebook page, please, and go on to the iTunes and uh, give us a nice rating and a a good review. We'd really appreciate that. You can, of course, get your questions in, uh, hashtag AskTMLPC. So on behalf of uh, Daniel McGann and Andrew Harrison, I'm not even going to be around this weekend to watch the game because my kid's graduating and I'm going to be out of town, so that's I'm gonna to have to re-watch on stinking MLS live or something but um, <laughs> it's
2: not all bad
0: it's oh, all right I, know. I just hopefully hopefully hate watching off. I know I just hate watching games where I already know the outcome especially oh, if course. it doesn't go well especially if it doesn't go well. but anyway on, on behalf of Daniel and Andrew, we'll see you next week to talk all, all about Orlando City and New England of course the pride at the Red Stars we'll talk a little OCB as well and I'm signing off as always saying Go City.